0: It's an honor and a privilege for me to be here, and I'm delighted to see so many distinguished guests here today. Thank you all for coming. Uh, Thank you very much. And I'm going to be speaking to a large degree out of the book of Jeremiah today. And I think the heart of the message today is found in Jeremiah 2, starting near verse 1 and 2. Let me read that for you because I want to ask for your help with this sermon. I want to ask you to help me write this sermon, actually. I'm reading from Jeremiah chapter 2, and in the second verse, it says, Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem, I remember the devotion of your youth and how as a bride you loved me and followed me through the deserts. Through a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. All who devoured her were held guilty, and disaster overtook them, declares the Lord. Now, this is interesting because it says, I remember the devotion of your youth, and how as a bride you love me. And how many of us can look back in a period of time in our lives when we we're grateful to the Lord for all He had done for us, and He loved us dearly. And when you love someone, you you tend to show it. You express that love because love is not a passive entity. It's like a, a flower or a tree. It has to grow. And too, all too often, our love is like a, a little bonsai tree. We keep it in this little pot, and they put salts and other poisonous chemicals in there to keep it from actually growing any bigger, just so it will look pretty right where it is, but our love needs to grow and blossom, and uh, we, Mal and I are starting a little orchard in a garden in our house, and uh, I want wanted these trees to really grow good, so I put a double and triple dose of fertilizer in the ground when I planted about let's say six of the trees, and they were all stunted. They wouldn't grow, and I had to dig them out, take all that double fertilized soil out, throw it in a pile, put some fresh dirt in the holes, and replant them. And a few of them took off after that. The grapefruit tree and the mango tree did really good, but there were four other trees that they'd just been too much, uh, too much restraints had been put on them, too much fertilizer. So there's a way that we, a correct way of expressing our love and our gratitude, and there's an incorrect way. And I'd like all of you to think about, how do we express our love to the Lord? Now, that's a very general question, and I think it goes way beyond coming to church and singing hymns and praising or dancing before the Lord like David did, but I think there's much broader scope for how we can display our love. And if you think of any, I'd like you to raise your hands and help explain that. How do we display our love? Now, Lillian. If you love me, keep my commandments. commandments. That's a really good. And his commandments, we usually think of the Ten Commandments, but I think there's the commandments didn't end in the book of Exodus where the Lord gave the Ten Commandments. I believe that the commandments were continually unfolding and expanding. It's like we were like little children when we were in the deserts of Israel, and we had a lot to learn. Look at what did Christ tell Peter when he asked Peter, do you love me? What was Peter's answer? you know that I love you. And the Lord asked him three times. So, I mean, it was like the Lord was really rubbing it in to Peter that that Peter had failed to display his love not too far in the past. And when, he, when finally Peter said three times, you know I love you, Lord, the Lord said, feed my lambs, take care of other people. So love has to be It's an active process, and it has to be expressed. It's not a passive entity. Now, for me, that's really hard to do. I'm, uh, by nature, a very passive person. I like to sit, sleep a lot. And um, so Christianity is alien to me because you're supposed to be active, aggressive. You're supposed to be outgoing, and... I tended to be really quiet when I was younger. I would just come home after school, sit down in a chair in the living room, and not move, I mean, for the rest of the evening. My mother took me to a doctor. What's wrong with this kid? His brother's outside playing baseball and getting in fights and doing all those things the little kid's supposed to do, and um, I'm just sitting there. But so many of us have Character faults that need to be overcome if we really want to be good Christians. And it's a real struggle. I know it is for me. But the Lord promises us that he will strengthen us and, and give us the, the courage that we need to go for example, in, uh, Jer- towards the end of the first chapter in Jeremiah, the Lord says to Jeremiah, I think I'm reading from verse 17, chapter 1 of Jeremiah. It says, get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them, whatever I command you, do not be terrified by them, or I will terrify you before them. Today I make you... A fortified city, an iron pillar, and a bronze wall to stand up against the whole land, against kings of Judah, the officials, the priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but I am they will fight against you, but will not overcome you, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. So I think there's a general principle involved here. When the Lord calls us to whatever work he has given us, he will give us the strength, the courage, the wisdom, and the protection we need to do our job. There isn't anything that he calls us to that he will not prepare us for. Now, sometimes that preparation can be very long. How, how long does somebody have to go to medical school and residency before they become a doctor. It's like, well, I used to work for a neurosurgeon. I was a technician for him, and uh, he was going to make the... He came to me one day and said, "Uh, Jim, I'm thinking of making the residency program in neurosurgery 11 years long, 11-year resident. What do you think about that? And I didn't want to rain on his parade. Uh, But that's an awfully, awfully, awfully long residency. So I said, well, um, I suppose if you had a good retirement program in your residency program, it wouldn't be too bad. (laughs) But, you know, doctors, the preparation that you go through to become a doctor is very long. I think you go to school for 20... For probably at least 27 years, you're in school for 27 years before you become a physician. It's a long, long time. Um, as a Christian, when you first become a Christian, you get baptized and suddenly you're a Christian, and people act like you're supposed to know everything. Like you know, like you, the priest sprinkled holy water on you, and you're supposed to be like, "What's the matter with you?" But even as a Christian, we have to go through this long process of trying to understand what our responsibilities are. And I'd like to ask all of you to try to be patient with your fellow church members because they're still in school. Christianity is a school that we never graduate from. We're always learning, constantly learning. And, I mean, as an illustration, I used to read the book of of uh, Psalms when I first became a Christian and I didn't understand it at all because it was a book about being thankful and praising the Lord and I didn't know anything about that. I I was just I'd read it and I'd just kind of scratch my head and I didn't understand it. And about 25 years after I became a Christian, I slowly began to understand what it was all about. I understood the book of Proverbs very well because it was do this and this will happen, like a soft answer turneth away wrath. It was a very mechanical kind of description of what a Christian is supposed to do. And I was trained as an engineer, and you're given this cookbook approach, and and engineers have a cookbook approach to life. And so I understood the book of Proverbs, but not the book of Psalms. So all of us have a lot to learn, and we need to be patient with each other. And, and when you first start doing something, you're probably not going to do all that well. As as I can testify as treasurer, it's been a real struggle for me. Uh, along that line, Thomas Watson, the president of IBM Corporation, used to say, you cannot be a success until you failed failed 100 times. So we need to realize that we're going to have failures in life. But... There's some good news. We can avoid a lot of those failures if we'll follow the word of the Lord. Because he knows the right way for us to follow. It says in the book of Jeremiah, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah in the thirteenth year of Josiah, and through the reign Jehoiakim, and down through the eleventh year of Zedekiah. When the people of Jerusalem went into exile, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, behold, I formed you in the womb. It says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. This is chapter 1, and that's verse 4 and 5. The word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. Now, is this only, was the Bible given these words for Jeremiah's benefit or for ours? For, for, our, for both, for Jeremiah and for us. And so this word, I, I believe, is for us. I believe when the Lord said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I think he's saying that to each and every one of us. Before you were born, he knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. Every one of us, I believe, is given a mission in life, a work, a calling. Now, that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. I mean, Jeremiah, if you read my wife, when she heard I was going to be preaching out of Jeremiah, she looked up Jeremiah and patriarchs and prophets and It was an astonishing work because Jeremiah was, it says here, for 40 years, Jeremiah was sent before the nation as a witness for truth and righteousness in a time of unparalleled apostasy. Now, I somehow think that we could vie with ancient Israel for that title today. But she says, in a time of unparalleled apostasy, he was to exemplify in life and in character the worship of the only true God. In other words, he didn't just have a message to give. Here, I have a message for you. Here, I have a message for you, Lillian, um, if somebody wanted you to read this. But he had to live these things. He had to exemplify them. This was a high calling for Jeremiah. Jeremiah. During the terrible seizures of Jerusalem, he was to be the mouthpiece of Jehovah. He was to predict the downfall of the house of David and the destruction of the beautiful temple built by Solomon. Now, that must have been a horrible experience to say. I mean, a year ago, I I was working at the dental school, I'm still there, thank God, and I was telling my friends who work there, I said within a year, we're going to be operating in the red at the dental school. The way we're going, it's unavoidable. And today we are operating in the red in the school. And I've actually had someone recently tell me that I was a prophet. Well, you don't need a prophet to see a decline in the income and, you know, you, you can read the graphs pretty easily and see where things are going you don't need to be a prophet. but And listen to this about Jeremiah. And when imprisoned because of his fearless utterances, he was still to speak plainly against the sin in high places. Even when he was in prison, he still spoke out against what was going on. It says of him, despised, hated, rejected of men. He was finally to witness the literal fulfillment of his own prophecies of impending doom and share in the sorrow and the woe that should follow the destruction of the city of Jerusalem so he was called to be a prophet and yet he had a very difficult life and and i'm afraid that that's generally true it's not just for prophets but it's, I think it's true for nurses and for mothers and fathers and church treasurers and evangelism leaders and elders and everybody else, medical students. It's really difficult. In I work at the Norton Clinic, and I have to work on, on HIV patients, some of them who are literally... Some of them are trying to commit suicide. Some be, they're, they're so despondent, they stop taking their medications. They stop eating properly. They, it's heartbreaking to work with people like that. Some of them are spreading this disease among other people by their, by their conduct. And it's, it's painful. I come home at the end of the day sometimes, and I feel sick for three days afterwards when I see what's, what's being done. I mean, it was, it. It reminds me, when I was younger, I went into a grocery store in Boulder, Colorado when I was in college, and there was a woman beating her little child in the grocery store because he, he dropped a bottle of something and it broke on the ground. She was beating him in the store. I just got sick watching it. But today, these things are happening all around us, things that, that break our hearts, and We have to look to the Lord for strength. This is not a ministry of prosperity that I'm preaching to you today. There are churches in Southern California that say the Lord wants you to be rich and you to be successful. Well, he certainly does, but he also wants you to bear burdens. It says in the Bible, we know that we belong to Christ when we share in his suffering. So whenever you move forward, being guided by the Lord, you can be confident that you are going to share in his suffering. And all of us here I believe have in one way or another. And I know that some of you are going through that suffering now. Even some of the young people going through really difficult challenges. But the Lord has promised us just as he promised Jeremiah that Today I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar and a bronze wall to stand up against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, the, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you, Morning. mourning. And I know some of you are going through those kind of battles right now because I've spoken to you about them. You're fighting against officials and, and leaders in the organizations that you're trying to work with. And it's a real battle. It's a real struggle for you. And I have to admit, when I hear these things, I, I don't maybe express myself, but I feel like crying inside when I hear these things because it's too much it's really too much but the thing that gives me hope is that i've seen so many miracles in my life that when people say no i don't that doesn't bother me at all because i've seen no turn to yes so many times and, and so i'm hopeful that even in Uh, When we encounter a brick wall and we can't seem to move forward, I still maintain hope that the Lord can help us to move forward. And I've I've told many of you the story when Molly and I went to St. Vincent, we arrived at the airport, and I had a carry-on luggage with dental instruments. This was before 9-11, and they didn't check your luggage for sharp objects. I had... 45 pounds of dental instruments in my carry-on. My carry-on weighed a total of 50 pounds. And when I went to the airport, when I was in the Barbados, I picked up my carry-on and, and it, the handle ripped off of it. It was so heavy. And so I had to carry it like this. We got to St. Vincent and I, they had a metal table to put your suitcases on. It was about 30 inches high, desk level. And you put your suitcases on there, and then the customs official examined them. So I had the suitcase, and I dropped it on the steel table, and it goes kabang when it hits the table. And the, and the customs officer kind of is startled, this little bag making all this noise. And he goes, What on earth do you have in that bag? And I said, Dental instruments. Now, in St. Vincent, they charge you, their main income is charging tourists for anything that they bring in is taxing people. I mean they that's how the government that's how the whole country survives is is off of tourists and taxism. So they they typically get up to 117% of the value of whatever you bring into the country. It's really punishing. You want to buy a new car? You can buy a Toyota Corolla in St. Vincent and it only costs about $60,000. I mean, it's really difficult to buy anything there because the taxes are... So I I thought I was gonna get hit really hard for taxes. And the guy said, what are you gonna do with all these instruments? I said, we wanna start a a, a dental school to teach dental hygiene. We wanna teach young people how to be dental hygienists so that they can get a job. And the customs officer didn't even open my suitcases. He He said, our young people need jobs. May God bless you. And we just went through. <laughs> so I was, like, really relieved. And when we got there, I said, um, we, I went to the minister of education, and I, I, we want to we wanna open a school. And he goes, oh, there's no problem here. You just uh, look at the regulations are all right here. There was a whole bookshelf filled with the regulations you needed to, in order to get the school accredited. You know, you had to um, vet all your professors, and they had to have their background checks and investigations, and you had to have the financing for this. I mean, it was like a whole bookshelf full of regulations. And I just kind of shook my head. I said, there's no way I can do that. I can't comply with all those rules and regulations. So I kind of gave up. But about a few months later, it was maybe six months later, I was at an official function and the prime minister was there. I'd been invited uh, to to be where the prime minister was and I got to talk to, I had to give a short speech and the prime minister said, you know, you speak really well, where did you learn to speak like that? And I thought about that and how did I learn to speak? I learned to speak by reading the Bible, by reading Proverbs when I was younger and it It changes the way you think and the way you reason. And I think that's how I learned. But anyway, I was talking to the prime minister, and I said, you know, we'd like to start a school here uh, to teach young people to be dental hygienists. If only we could get permission from the government to do that. And the prime minister looked at me, and he said, you have permission. You may move forward. Do whatever you need to do. I was like, no, that was a gift from heaven. And and so we did. And we trained, I don't know, we trained about half a dozen young people, including um, Mala's sister. We trained her. And that was a real blessing. She, we trained her. And I also trained her how to repair dental equipment, because overseas there's nobody, there's no technicians that know how to do that. She went to Trinidad, got a job at the Adventist Hospital in Port of Spain, Trinidad. Her first day on the job, the de- she's working with the dentist, and the dentist picks up the slow-speed handpiece, and something goes pop, and a couple parts fall off the handpiece, and little parts fall on the floor. There's these little screws. You need magnifying glasses to see them. They're so small. And the handpiece suddenly doesn't work, and it was their only one. And the, inst- and the dentist goes, doc- it was Dr. Delphina Ovid, a a real saint she goes oh that's just wonderful we might as well cancel the rest of our patients and go home because we can't work without this and so Mudhu gets down on her hands and knees and finds what parts she's she can but some of the parts are so small she can't find them so she goes into the back room where all the old equipment is goes rummages through the doors she finds the missing parts puts it all together and in five minutes she has the handpiece working again. And Dr. Ovid was stunned. She goes, How did you how did you do that? How did you learn to do that? She goes, oh, I learned to do that in dental hygiene school. They taught us how to do that. And so I mean they were just they really loved having her there. And so one of the things that we need to keep in mind is that when we face difficulties obstacles the Lord loves to take those difficulties and turn them into blessings and so when I see people facing obstacles it actually kind of gives me I get excited because I think now there's nothing we can do we need a miracle but I know somebody who specializes in miracles And so I'm still hopeful, even though I hear no, 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 no over and over and over again. So I'd like you to be hopeful because I believe the Lord really will make you into a fortified city, an iron pillar, and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. So. I I know maybe what I'm saying today is not very subtle. Some of you know who I'm referring to, but um, I really believe the Lord can still work miracles in our lives. So let's try to be hopeful now. But it's important for us to remember the the real hinge of this sermon is that passage I read you in the beginning. I remember the devotion of your youth, how you, as a bride, you loved me and followed me through the desert, through a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. All who devoured her were held guilty, and disaster overtook them. So, my question, the question I asked myself, I asked myself, This morning as I'm reading over this is, is how did I show my love and devotion to the Lord? Am I doing that now? Now, that can be a very embarrassing question because all of us have failed. All of us have sinned. All of us have things that we need to overcome. And so I think moving forward, we need to say, how can I display my love for the Lord? How can I, as Mrs. White wrote about Jeremiah, in a time of unparalleled apostasy, he was to exemplify in the example of his life and in the example of his character, the worship of the only true God. How can we exemplify in our life our love for the Lord? And there's thousands of opportunities for us to do that. I mean, as a dentist, I get to work with with people who are often in pain. They Usually, a lot of people don't go to the dentist until they've had a toothache for two or three weeks, or in Africa, two or three years. So they come in in pain, and I have the privilege of getting them out of pain and putting a smile back on their face. And that's a real honor, and I think physicians have that opportunity tenfold every day. They have people that are sick and they can help them, and nurses too, and teachers, and all of you. I mean, how many mothers have had a crying child come to them and they soothe and comfort the child? And they do that all their lives. Mothers never stop being mothers. I remember two weeks before my mother passed away, she called me up and wanted to know if there was anything she could do to help me. You know, is there anything I could do? And and she wanted to empty her bank account and send me a check. And I said, Oh no, mother, don't! Please don't do that. That's we're fine. We're doing. You don't need to do that. So I mean, a mother. There's nothing like a mother's love. It's just an incredible. I look back and I, I always wonder how could. How could a mother love me, <laughs> you know, the way that she did? So. We need to think about how we can display our love to those around us. Now, you have to remember that the church is not a country club. It's a hospital. Everyone in it is a patient in the hospital. We're all sick. We all have shortcomings. But a doctor doesn't go into a hospital and talk to a patient like General Patton talked. Remember the story of General Patton during World War II? Do they teach you that in medical school, what happened? W- general, yeah, this is a really hilarious, well, it's, it's a tragic story. General Patton visited, he was the, the most aggressive and the most famous general of World War II. The, the Nazis were afraid of him. In fact, everybody was afraid of General Patton After the war, I'm going to tell you a little side story here. After the World War II ended, Iran and Iraq, which have lots of oil fields, it was called Persia in those days, and the Soviet Union invaded um, Iraq and Iran in order to capture their oil fields because they wanted oil. Because during World War II, Germans almost cut off their only supply of oil that was in the southern Balkans, and the Russians wanted another source of oil. So they said, well, we need Iran's oil to defend ourselves. So they invaded Iran and Iraq, and Harry Truman got on the phone, called Joseph Stalin, and said, if you don't have your troops out of Iran within 48 hours, I'm going to ask General Patton to march on Moscow. And then he hung up the phone. And within 48 hours, the, the Soviet Union had withdrawn from Iran. So they were people were really afraid of this guy. He was really tough. And he, uh, but unfortunately, there was one really tragic incident involving Patton. During the war, he visited a hospital. And there was a man in the hospital who was suffering from shell shock. He had a nervous breakdown. And the man was kind of, he was still in shock in the hospital. He was laying in bed. And Pat went from bed to bed and said, you know, why are you here? And it was usually pretty obvious. He didn't have to ask. Actually, this man was the only, said, he didn't have any wounds, no casts, no patches over his eyes, nothing. He was just laying in his bed. And Pat says, why are you here? And the guy said, oh, I have shell shock. And Patton said, what? Shell shock? We all have shell shock. Get over it. You coward. He insulted the man, belittled him, called him a coward, and he slapped him in front of all these other patients. Okay. And now, Patton thought he was doing, he was trying to motivate his troops to be tough. He believed he was doing the right thing. But General Eisenhower, when he heard about it, he relieved Patent of his command for about nine months or a year. He put Patent in charge. Now, this was just before D-Day, and in order to to decoy the Germans, they built an artificial army. They had tanks made out of wood and rubber balloons. They had these giant rubber balloons that looked like tanks, and they had... Thousands and thousands of these tanks and aircraft, they were all wooden in northern England and it was a decoy to try to get the Germans to think that we were massing supplies and equipment in northern England to involve, to invade Europe right across from there on the, on the near Calais, where Dunkirk occurred, near Dunkirk. So... The Germans were kind of committed. Anyway, Eisenhower put Patton in charge of this dummy army <laughs> as kind of punishment. But eventually, uh, during the Battle of the Bulge, they called him back. And Patton defeated the Germans in the Battle of the Bulge. Um, it was really astonishing. He marched. One of the things he did was they, the Germans surrounded Bastogne. The 101st Airborne was there. I was in the 101st Airborne, so I've heard this story many times. They were surrounded by the Germans, and the Germans came to the commander of the American forces with a white flag and and an emissary and said, we are here to discuss your terms of surrender because it's only a matter of time before you're all destroyed. And the American commander said, nuts to you, that's all he said, and they left. Patton, when he heard that the 101st was surrounded, he had troops that were 40 miles away, and the roads were bad and all bombed out, and then they couldn't drive their trucks through. So he marched a division of soldiers all night long and reached Bastogne the next morning. So, I mean, Patton really, really knew how to move men and materials, and they defeated the Germans there and relieved the men at stone. But don't make, I mean, we need to be brave and courageous like Patton, but we need to remember, too, that we're working in a hospital, and we don't go slapping people around. We have to expect them to be sick, and we have to pray for those who need to be healed. And I hope that we'll remember to do that is to try to be patient with those who are in the church because we are here to be a source of encouragement. The greatest, I've been a dentist for 34 years, and I've discovered what people need more than anything is not root canals and crowns and fillings. They need encouragement. They need someone to give them hope. And one of the best things, I mean, I was working on a patient Friday who was in pain, and they'd been to another dentist, and nobody could help them. And 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 all I, I said to the patient was, I think we'll be able to help you. And the patient said, I'm really glad to hear that because no one else would help me. And so people really need some encouragement. They need to see some light at the end of the tunnel. If you can turn that light on at the end of the tunnel, you'll give them hope, and they'll keep going. They'll keep going. All of us struggle and have trials. All of us wake up or go to bed with tears in our eyes on many occasions. This is I heard a doctor on the radio, on uh, James Dobson's radio show one day, say, There's this delusion that if you get sick, you go to the doctor and you get better. Sometimes that happens, the doctor said. But the way it really works here, especially when you're old, is you get sick and you go into the hospital and there's nothing they can do for you and they empty your bank accounts and then you die. Nobody escapes from this. There's no way out. And so life on Earth can be really a challenge. But if you can give someone hope that there's light at the end of the tunnel, you'll do wonders for them and you'll be loved by everyone around you. Yesterday I was talking to students and I was working in urgent care I got there 40 minutes late because I'd forgotten that I was supposed to be on urgent care block, and and I thought everybody would be mad at me. But the students were, oh, we're so glad you finally, you're finally here. Thank you for coming. And I was talking to the students afterwards, and I said, you know, this patient that you just saw had gone to another dentist, and they wouldn't help him because they said it was too difficult to case. So they said, go to Loma Linda where you can have What, students work on you? So the patient came to Loma Linda and we were able to help him. And I was able to find an oral surgeon who was still there in the building. And he immediately started the surgery on this woman and was able to help her. And afterwards, the students, actually the surgeons there, they don't do a, they get the student in there and they kind of coach them and tell them what to do. And they stand behind them. And it's really a nice training program. And if they get in trouble, the surgeon will step in and show them how to do it. But So the surgeon helped them, and the student took care of the patient. And when they were all done, I said, you know, I think that the students here at Loma Linda are in the top 2% of people in the United States that I've met as far as their intelligence, their skill sets, hand-eye coordination, their kindness, their willingness to help their generosity, their compassion. They're some really nice people. I really enjoy coming to work every day because you, students, are such nice people. You're really good people. I really love working with you all. And you know when you're a blessing to others, you receive a blessing yourself. And the students said to me, well, you know, Dr. Trott, you didn't turn out so bad yourself. (laughs) So, you know, we don't hear a lot of compliments in life, but it's nice when you do, when you can hear a few compliments. So I was grateful to hear that. And by, I think the key, I'm going to try to answer the question I asked at the beginning. How do we show our love for, for the Lord? By obeying the commandments, for one, by feed my lambs taking care of other people and but in order to do that if you're going to feed lambs you've got to go out into the fields where it rains and it's dark at night and there's no there may be no shelter for you you might sleep under the stars it's not being a shepherd's not an easy life especially 2,000 years ago when they didn't have little camper vans that they could tow around into the fields have you ever seen the uh, 30 years ago, they used to have Basque shepherds in the fields of Southern California. I don't see them anymore. And they, had, they, were, from, they were all from northern Spain because um, I guess that's where they trained the best shepherds. And they had these little towable mobile homes that were only about this long. They were maybe eight, at most seven or eight feet long. It was just a little bad where they could sleep in, and they would tow these around, for the, and they would have it sitting in the field, and the shepherds could sleep in this at night. But, you know, you've got to go out. If you're going to serve, you have to go out into the field. The soldier goes into the battlefield to serve. A doctor goes into the operating room where there's... He gets exposed to all kinds of diseases. I read recently that there have been about... 52 cases of AIDS transmitted to healthcare workers. By the way, none of them were dentists. Dentists, no dentist has gotten AIDS by working on a patient. No dental hygienist. But it's usually surgeons because they will get cut or injured when they're they have their fingers in a pool of blood, and there's a leak in their in their gloves, or maybe there's a cut on their fingers, or they'll cut themselves with a scalpel. And then they become HIV positive. So if you're a doctor, you're taking real risks. Now, fortunately, we've learned how to mitigate those risks. I think doctors are more careful now than they were 30 years ago in the operating room. We certainly are as dentists, but you have to take a risk. So that's I think rule number one, Lillian pointed out, is obey the Lord's instructions. Number two is you have to take a risk. You have to Go into the battlefield. You have to go into the operating room. And the third is you have to count on the Lord to give you the strength to move forward. And when you're willing to do that, the Lord blesses you abundantly. I know that he has me. So when you read the book of Jeremiah, I want you to remember that this is a story about you. And what the Lord can do... He has plans for you, and he's going to strengthen you, and people are going to fight against you, but he will protect you. And we should, expect, we should all expect to see miracles in our lives. And for this, I'm really thankful. May God bless you one and all. Thank you so much. Let's have a closing word of prayer. Who would like to have um, the closing prayer? Benjamin, would you do us the honors? Thank you. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for the message of encouragement that you've given us this morning through Dr. Trot. Lord, you've called us to minister to a sick and dying world friends, family, work work colleagues, and others who, who don't know you, don't know your love, don't know your grace, don't know your power. Father, we just pray that you would give us the grace to stand strong, to be a light, to be a witness, and to share your love with others. For we ask this and thank you For hearing our prayer. In Jesus name. Amen. amen.